welcome everybody officially. Thank you so much for joining us um, for our session today. My name is Kaylee Garrido and I head up marketing and events here at Great Data Minds. Um, if you don't already know us, Great Data Minds is a collective of passionate data activists and we are on a mission to modernize the world of data. So we do this in one of two ways. The first is that we have our services arm, which is at greatdataminesinnovationlabs.com. And this is where we do our strategic planning, our education and the deployment of critical data projects. Over here on the greatdataminds.com side of the house, uh, we have our community and we create content and we host um, great events just like the one that you are here to listen to today. Um, so a little bit of housekeeping as we get kicked off. This is a webinar. So of course your cameras and microphones are off, but we always want to hear from you. And so I know Mike has already kicked off the chat. We welcome everybody to uh, add their color commentary there as well as any questions that you may have. Um, and we'll save a little bit of time towards the end of the session for a more formal Q&A if you do have some questions for Mike or Steve after the conversation. And this conversation today is going to be great fun. Um, we are excited to hear how uh, our very own Steve Neat, the Elation Executive, has truly experienced the practical benefits of an otherwise routine data catalog. So a little bit more about Steve's background. Um, Steve is a software industry executive and sales veteran with over 30 years of experience helping global enterprises maximize the business value of their IT investments and data assets. And to spar with him verbally, we have our own Mike Lampa, who is our chief analytics officer here at Great Data Minds. Mike is a true transformation agent working with enterprises to modernize their analytics programs from the ground up. And so uh, that's what we have for you today. We're excited. I'll stop my yapping and turn the floor over to you, Mike. Thank you, Kalia. So uh, I'm looking forward to ready to rumble since we're going to be sparring, Steve. How are you today, <laughs> sir? Okay, thanks. Thanks for having me. Great, great. So I'm really excited about this topic. Um, uh, when we had our um, uh, prep session, um, yeah. So I'm gonna, I'm just going to kind of jump right into it. You know, when we're thinking around data culture and data literacy, I mean, are these soft skills really that critical to establishing a a well-founded uh, um, um, data and analytics portfolio, Steve? Well, it's re really interesting. I think there's a, a, a lot of discussion about data culture becoming organizations being data driven. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think there's a lot of evidence to back up that they're, they're not only just nice things to have, they're business imperatives. Mm -hmm. There's evidence out there that if you can make faster, better decisions on trusted data, uh, that helps you build out that data culture and your business performance improves. Not only are you making faster decisions, they're better decisions, but it has a real impact on the performance of the business. So it's no longer a soft, nice thing to have. It's a really critical and important business imperative. Yeah, and, and so how do we, you know, cultivate the literacy part of it? You know, because even though I, you know, I opened up saying soft skills, data literacy does have some real technique and and. Uh, uh, education backing it up, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think, um, you know, uh, what is a data culture that, that supported, I think that's a good definition to start with. What does that really mean? Mm -hmm. and, it, and it means that, you know, decisions made in any organization are based upon data. It's no longer the loudest 
voice in the room that makes those decisions. But there's from the most senior people in the organization to people out there in the in the coalface. Data literacy is an important component of that because people need to feel comfortable that one, they have access to the data that they need to make those decisions. Two, they understand the context of what that data might mean. And three, they, they understand where, it, where to get it and where it comes from. So culture and data literacy are all wrapped up, in my view, um, and are essential to help drive that 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 uh, drive a data driven organization and to actually realize those benefits. Yeah, there is um, quite a bit of research out there that's been published by the likes of McKinsey, Gartner, um, the Eckerson Group, where um, they're saying that the 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 percentage of actual adoption of analytic products that are they're uh, enabled through data products is running in the low twenties. Um, which says to me, there's a lot of obsolete or non-value-added work that's being done. Um, how do we address that gap to get better uh, levels of adoption of those analytic products were being built? Well, I think, um, you know, the organizations that I talk to, the executives in those organizations, they all want the nice, shiny, exciting things like modern AI, advanced analytics, dashboards and reporting. They all want those things because they, they believe they will help the performance of the business. The challenge, of course, is many of the organizations are still relatively immature in terms of having data that they can trust to build those analytics and that AI uh, on top of. So I think sometimes those first generation of projects fail or, or or fall foul because they're using data that isn't isn't uh, trustworthy or reliable so i think it's it's a combination you can only get the results you desire and get a full advantage of those analytical capabilities if you genuinely have access to trustworthy reliable and easy accessible data and I've seen too that you know the analytic stakeholders, the the business people that really understand their data, if if the published data sources are deemed untrustworthy by them, it's they're like water. They're going to seek the path of least resistance and go after their own um, vehicles uh, and paths to get that data, and that can create a problem. While they might be getting some immediate gratification, um, to me there's this insidious um, set of problems bubbling underneath the surface. And, and I'm curious, how do we start to wrap our arms around that and acknowledge the fact that our published sources don't, aren't trustworthy? Well, I think we've gone from a situation in enterprises 10, 15 years ago where they didn't have a lot of data mm. to a position where we've got too much and trying to figure out what data is either important or what the level of quantity is. We've got too much data. And so for most organizations, it, they're trying to see the wood for the trees and, and, and without certain capabilities, without the ability to understand what is reliable and trustworthy, people are gonna rely upon information that, that is perhaps out of date 
or the quality's not there or hasn't been approved is data that they can't trust. And those decisions will be bad decisions, incorrect decisions. So I think it's we, we've seen that shift from too little to too much. Um, now you need some technology, I think, to help see the wood for the trees. And and that kind of reinforces your uh, earlier comment you said around the 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 savvy business person that really knows how to make decisions. Uh, they kind of balk at um, balk at um, um, relying on data to inform their decisions. Uh, you know, the highest paid person in the organization that really knows the business. I know how to make my decision. And by the way, all this data, these other guys are saying it's not trustworthy. Um, we got to figure out a way to overcome that, right? Yeah, I think there's, I think organizations now, I think there is sufficient evidence to say the organizations that are using trustworthy data are outperforming and competing better than organizations that 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 still rely rely upon gut feel just look at the emergence of many data-driven companies and how they're outperforming the more traditional organizations the the modern retailers the airbnbs of this world the ubers of this world what is their what is their asset? Well, it's really data and how they process that data, and so there there there's a modern trend towards companies that are based purely on data. They have the advantage, of course, is that they don't have tens of years of legacy to deal with, mm-hmm. and that is the challenge of many big companies. That's that's why many do have a big challenge and in a bit of a mess because they've invested in a variety of applications, ERP systems, CRM systems, e-commerce systems, that were really never designed to utilize the byproduct of the data. So there's data all over the place. So those companies, I think, have an extra challenge, which is to get their arms around huge stacks of historical data and figure out which is the most important, which are the critical data elements that they have in their organization? What's actually being used by the business? Sometimes that's not really very visible. Who's using that information? Sometimes that's not being visible. I was talking to one organization the other day and they were going through a lengthy exercise, manual, I hasten to add, to try and understand by by consultation what data is the most important data to their business. And then a subsequent exercise, again, a fairly manual exercise, to try and identify who the subject matter experts were, who should be the data stewards, who are the people who can make decisions in the organization, who are close enough to the business to really understand what it means and what the value is of that data to the business. So, you know, these projects, some of them fall into disrepute because it's a year's worth of effort to go through those manual exercises because of the volume, because of the complexity. So I think that's the challenge that many organizations have in their desire to move towards being data driven Mm -hmm. is, is, it's a big problem. It's, it's complicated. Uh, there are data sets all over the place. It's a hard thing to tackle manually. It is. Um, and, and I love your uh, observation around the critical data elements. Uh, I, 
our organization really subscribes to lean principles. And it's always about where's the biggest value that I can deliver in the shortest amount of time. And I've seen so many governance projects or even you know data warehouse projects where we go off and we're going to cast a net around it all, right? And we're going to bring it all in and then they will come. Well, to your point earlier, that's years and years of, of sunk cost and the value is not happening, right? Um, and it triggers a point for me too, um, Steve, is when a lot of organizations are coming to the realization that migrating to the cloud is a very um, uh, valuable exercise because I can get to scale, right? Um, but what should I migrate when I'm moving to the cloud? Um, I mean, what, what's important? When, how do we start to discern what I should be migrating and what's important? Yeah, I think actually that's one of the key use cases of a data catalog in 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 my view is you know sometimes people think well we'll get we'll move it all to the cloud and then we'll catalog it mm -hmm. well for me that's the wrong way around first of all mm -hmm. catalog what you have take stock of what's there and with products like elation elation enables you to see what data is actually being used mm -hmm. so that helps people decide well Maybe I don't need to move everything because that's going to be really expensive from a storage perspective and, and, and take a lot more time. So why don't you just focus on critical data elements, the most popular data sets, identify those and, and move those across first. That's where you can get the fastest return on your investment. And actually, there'll be a lot of data that you've accumulated that it, you'll find out is just not being used. So maybe leave it where it is or put it in a low cost storage environment if you need to archive it in some fashion. So a catalog is not just a place to go find where your metadata is. A catalog can really help you make some really important and expensive decisions. So how do you know what to migrate to the cloud? How do you know what to invest a lot of time and energy into data quality if you don't know what you have? So that, that ability to ingest the data and create an inventory of the information that you have then can really help you with some important transformational decisions and cost-effective decisions in your business. It's not just a repository to go find things for the data scientist or the data analyst. It can really help you in other ways. I'm picking up a hint, Steve, um, that uh, governance needs to be woven into this whole discussion around what's important, what's critical, what should migrate. Um, what level of governance needs to go along with the journey to migrate the proper data assets? Well, it depends what sort of industry you're in. If you're a, a regulated financial services industry, then then you might need a more profound level of governance to satisfy uh, those regulations. But but for most companies, it uh, we subscribe to a much lighter touch of governance. Just govern what you need. Actually, governance includes defining who the owner should be. And, and as I described earlier, that can be a lengthy manual process or that can be automated to some extent in identifying 
Well, who are my top users? Who are the people who actually use this data? Probably they're the best people to become a data steward or a subject matter expert or the person responsible for governing that data. Um, so a lighter touch or whatever level is appropriate for your business. Clearly, you want to be able to understand your data. You want to be able to classify it correctly and you want to apply the right policies that are appropriate to that data. But that doesn't apply. One size certainly doesn't fit all of your data. One size doesn't fit every organization. So finding the right level that satisfies the needs of your business and any regulations that you need to comply with. Well, governance is not a project. It's another ongoing journey. It's another ongoing, yeah, you never stop cataloging your data. You never stop governing your data. And and that that's really interesting because I, I talk to a lot of people who think this is a six month project and we're done and dusted. Mm -hmm. No, you, my guidance is, you know, start smaller, start with somebody who really gets it and has a strong business case, mm -hmm. work with them on that, deliver some real value, chop it up into smaller parts and demonstrate that success to the rest of the business, then move on to some other use cases, be it data migration, be it certification of certain reports, uh, you know, identifies a series of use cases with some discrete identified business value associated with them, with some stakeholders and roll it out from there. Yeah, you're, you're never done. You have to continue to govern, continue to catalog the data you have because your business will change and evolve over time. Yeah. All right, so now you triggered another thought in my head, Steve. Um, when we're thinking about governance, a lot of it is always typically shared in context of the data and analytics program. Does governance have the opportunity or should be seeking opportunities to influence how the data is being created in the operational world? Um, I think it has an impact on it because I think you can identify what data you have and whether there are any gaps in that world. And, and you need to decide whether, how the level of governance that you apply to some of that data, depending upon your business, the, the policies you want to comply with. So it should certainly shape where there might be gaps. Um, might be GDPR or other regulations that are applying where you would need to apply a little bit more governance than, than you would do normally. But for me, governance is quite a broad term because just cataloging what you have, just assigning ownership, just identifying and classifying that data is part of governance. So um, it doesn't have to be, you know, an army of governance people it is not a department really, in my view, but often that there are heads of governance. Um, it's not uh, overweight workflow processes that take years to set up. It, it, is, it, it is the mere fact that you're cataloging, you're classifying, you're identifying users. You might well be approving components in that as well, because you do want to demonstrate that you're a, you've got the workflows in, in place to approve the right things. Um, but for me, what I've I've seen is the 
um, if you, as long as you're not in a heavily regulated industry, the governance should be light, lighter weight. Um, because just cataloging projects, looking at all of your data, there's a lot to be done anyway, without overdoing it. And there's a there's there's a byproduct of that. If you do overdo it, you'll find people who will find shortcuts, as you alluded to earlier, and they'll stop using the system that is meant to be their their sort of record of where data is, and a, you won't get the adoption that you expect. You know, sometimes I've seen projects in the past where the only users of a catalog are those people in the governance department who are paid to do governance. That definitely doesn't drive a data culture and it definitely doesn't help you with adoption. You know, you need the, the adoption into the business, to the whole business, to stand a chance of becoming data driven, to stand a chance of building out that data culture. So um, adoption is key. So usability is really important in that. And the, the more heavyweight the governance, the more process driven it is, if it's unnecessarily burdensome, will stop people using the tool that you you want them to use. Right. Yeah, it get, becomes uh, perceived as the innovation prevention committee. Correct. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, you, 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 touched a little bit on, you know, the, the more highly regulated industries um, are going to have to have a little bit more, a uh, little larger governance hammer uh, than the non-regulated. But even in the non-regulated industries that don't have a lot of thou shalt not do things, there's the thou should do things or not do things. So uh, where I'm getting at is the, the rising awareness of what I should should be doing with the data, even though I could be doing things with the data. In other words, ethics. Does governance help with the ethics elements oh, as well? Yeah, and 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 don't get me wrong, governance is a is a good thing, you know, because it helps you in that process of classification. So so when people come in and try and find the right information, it helps them do that. So but also from a policy perspective, uh, having a catalog is not only what data do I have, it's should I use this data? And if so, what should I use it for? So that's all part of the policies around privacy, etc. So having having a catalog that classifies information and aligning that to policies is really critical in ensuring that you are complying with the appropriate level of governance that you want for that type of data. Is it, is it fair for me to make this observation that a lot of times governance gets pushed to the side or is not adopted because there's a lack of purpose statement, why governance generates value? I, I think so. I, I think I think a lot of people don't like the word governance actually because mm -hmm. it's it's gonna it's gonna stop people doing what they want to do. So um, it, it's often see, seen as uh, it's, it's certainly not always seen as an enabler. Um, there, for me, it does enable business to um, making sure it's part of the trustworthiness of the data that you have. Um, but yeah, I think many projects have fallen foul because they're seen as the governance 
team and the governance project that is perceived as perhaps slowing down or inhibiting some of the innovators in the organization. So I think you do need, that's why it's important to have the right level of governance that, and for it to be presented as a business enabler in helping the company have high quality, trustworthy data that enables them to make better, faster decisions. Yeah, I, I, I find uh in many of the companies that I've um, been involved with, and actually on some of the governance projects I've been involved on, we, we fell prey and victim to form over function. Right? We had multiple levels of committees. Um, we had all sorts of people that had to take on these new roles in addition to their job, but there was no allocation of, of capacity to be able to do that. And the thing just falls flat. To your earlier point, years and years go into this, many hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in consulting fees have been paid out and the value prop doesn't even happen. It's a shame it, in my opinion. It, exactly. And yes, likewise, in the past, I've seen projects of that nature, which have definitely not delivered the anticipated return on the investment. Mm -hmm. They are very, uh, yeah, lots of committees, lots of meetings, lots of policies and things like that. And people generally just want to lay their hands on data that will help them do their job better and faster. Well, let's go back to a little bit, if we, if you will um, um, allow me, uh, talking about the data culture in transformation. So do we fund and commission a project to implement our culture and transform our company? Well, I, I, I have worked in companies where that's been the approach and you, 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 the first sign of that are posters in the conference rooms with the core values and how we should behave. But, uh, you know, I'm not sure that's the right way to drive culture. For me, culture, be it general culture of any organization or data culture is led by um, the executive in the company starting at the CEO. It's that their behaviors that ultimately determine what the culture is of the organization. So to help drive a data culture, then the CEO should be a strong supporter of it. The CEO should demonstrate the right behaviors and make data-driven decisions. Um, interestingly, a good example of that, we, we recently uh, secured uh, a new customer in in the UK, a retailer called The Very Group. They're a very old catalogue business, ironically without a data catalogue at the time. Um, and uh, they've transformed into an e-commerce uh, online only business. And uh, while we were in initial discussions with them, I, I did my research, I checked them out on their website and they've got a great video of their CFO and CEO talking about the business. And it was quite revealing as they described um, all of the assets of the business, the, uh, the new distribution center that they've got, the product range that they've got. But I was quite pleased to see that their CEO described that one of their key strategic assets was the behavioral data of their four and a half million customers. So not only data, but he, he was aware enough to know that they had behavioral data of four and a half million customers. And it was called out as one of their strategic assets to their business. 
and that that's really encouraging you know that a ceo gets that data is important gets that he wants to get the most value from that asset and i think with that sets the tone that sets the tone for the organization so data projects that then follow have the support of the executive so driving culture starts at the very top you need you need that executive understanding and commitment to make it happen and they need to demonstrate you know it's not just a a one-off we think data culture is import important this needs to be an active engagement what are we doing where are we investing what are our strategic data projects um, it needs to be an ongoing thing to genuinely have an impact on data culture in an organization. Yep. I love the, uh, that it, it does have to start at the top and, and it does need to include all stakeholders, not just shareholders. Right? Um, so what do our customers think is important? Yeah, I love that. So, and it's understanding what what the why do it you know it's just it's not yeah, just yeah. A, a fashionable thing to do that mm -hmm. uh, that maybe there's business there's value to the customers by being data driven you know helping customers have better choice helping their distribution center be more efficient you know identifying why the organization should have a, a data culture and what are the initiatives that the the board want to uh, follow and uh, the projects that they're interested in over the coming years that data underpins and certainly the most successful customers that i see are the ones who do link data culture to their strategic initiatives that they got in their business and the the beauty of data is it underpins everything today, mm -hmm. whether it's a, you know, a car manufacturer wanting to transition towards uh, more uh, electric cars or a cigarette manufacturer wanting to move towards uh, smokeless or nicotineless uh, cigarettes. Whatever the strategic imperatives of the business, you can bet your bottom dollar that there's gonna be more data generated maybe even different relationships and and customer relationships established new products established all of which require huge volumes of data or will probably generate huge volumes of data and so if if you can link data initiatives data projects with those strategic initiatives that are driven top down as part of the data culture then you stand a much better chance, in my view, of being successful in delivering that that data culture that that people aspire to. Thank you for that, because I really believe if I have an analytics program or a governance program or anything uh, related to curating and uh, the data assets that is not tied to that strategic initiative, the objectives of the strategic initiative and the key results that it expects to achieve. If people can start to see that, it's an easy connection to make. I can enable that key result and I can show the leading indicators heading towards that key result achievement. Right? 
uh, but you have to link it together. And that then hopefully will start to get people to buy in. This is a good purpose. Now I understand why governance is important. Well, you're going to get access to resources. You're going to get access to funding. It's going to get access to the, the management that you need to sign off on these things. The world becomes a much better place with a strategic initiative that's fully funded, you know, for everybody. And it's important. If it's important, then people want to be part of it. They want to, uh, they, they want to be part of that team and, and make it a success. It gets the level of visibility that it requires. Uh, barriers are knocked out of the way. Uh, and the data, those are the most successful data projects that I know where they're, they're, they're not tactical, they're not uh, departmental, they're not pilots, uh, they're not skunk works under the radar. They're linked to really important strategic initiatives that any organization might have. All right, so you're a biking enthusiast. I am. That is a true statement, okay. Um, and my understanding is, while in your, one of your most recent uh, um, uh, journeys, you had your own aha moment around data and governed data. Would you would you share that with the audience? Yeah, and, and I think the, the the topic I've been wrestling with is is one we've touched on here, which is how do you build a data culture, and how does something like a data catalog help you with that, and how do you drive adoption of a catalog and we all know that it's people process and technology so technology alone doesn't normally cut it you do need the other things that we've discussed but there are some things that really help and um, I had I did have this aha moment like many people at the beginning of lockdown I dusted down my bike and got out for an hour, an hour a day as we were allowed then to go cycling. And um, um, I wanted to keep track of what I was doing. And, and whilst I've lived in this area for 20 years, I didn't know many off-road paths. So I started using one that I was familiar with that somebody had told me about. And um, then I wanted to track things. So, so somebody told me about Strava. So I I subscribed to Strava and that helped me track what I was doing. If it if it's not on Strava, it didn't happen. Uh, so I'm told. And um, <laughs> and then I got to the point, well, I'm getting a bit bored now. I've done this path around a, uh, a, a you know, a nice level gravel path. Uh, I've done this many times now. I want to go and explore some other places. So I opened up Strava and they have a really handy mapping facility you can plot some routes and i thought this is great you know this is this is a, a map of everything that's out there but it didn't really cover paths and i knew the roads because i drive around here and then i discovered this little toggle to to one side in strava and it may exist in other applications i don't know but it was something called the global heat map and i just switched it on and it and it completely changed everything this is a consumer app that is capturing and anonymizing and aggregating data about where everybody has been and overlaying it on this route map. And suddenly before my eyes, I could say, well, this is where everybody else is going. 
and 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 the deeper the color probably meant more people went there so it's probably more trustworthy so even within a mile of where i live i could see tons of new routes that i could use and that has really impacted my cycling i started building routes based upon that global heat map of where other people had gone and so over the last two years since i've been doing it i've really explored the whole of the area around where i live and now consider myself a bit of an expert actually and i related that to the experience of being maybe a data scientist turning up in a new company where do they find the data if they go and look at most data catalogs it will give them the map but not a lot else, not a lot of insight into what's there. So it's helpful, but it really doesn't help me get up to speed as quickly as I would like to do. And what Alation does, the features that Alation provides is it gives you your top data assets, you know, your most popular data assets, a bit like that global heat map. It also provides who are your top users. So instead of going into an empty data catalog that's a bit dull really and doesn't give me a lot of back back from day one an analyst or a data scientist or any knowledge worker can say well hang on a minute out of all of these assets be they databases schemas tables columns whatever that talk about customer here are the most popular ones well that's useful that's really useful and by the way, here are the top users of those assets as well. That, that's really useful. So that application of a sort of consumer grade capability to more of an enterprise software makes a big difference. And it helps build a community as well, I think, that you know, the more people use the data, the more they're contributing to that, that community of information. It helps people collaborate around it and it builds this virtuous circle of, well, it's easy to use. And once I get into the application, it's helping me do my job better and faster. I'm then more willing and able to contribute and collaborate around that data, which attracts more people in. So a key challenge in this space, I think, is driving adoption and having those sort of capabilities that insight really help build that virtuous circle to drive adoption um, and you know now my cycling i'm out much more regularly i've toured all around um the the parish and around the villages uh, uh, where i live uh, and if and, and candidly if somebody now asks me where they should go i can give them 20 options i consider myself a bit of a subject matter expert now from from zero to expert and a lot of that has really been helped by the insight that has given me confidence to trust some of these routes to go out there so i thought it was quite a eureka moment that that was something that's really compelling in any application candidly but i think specifically as it relates to large volumes of data how do you drive adoption of data catalogs or tools like it you've got to make life easier for people you've got to make their jobs more enjoyable um and and sadly i think historically many applications have ended up being used by purely the people whose job it is to use the application and not by 
the business population who will get value from it. Mm-hmm. And that's when you know you can help. You know, it's not the only way to a data culture, but it makes life a lot easier. If you've got an environment that people know that they can go to that is heavily used, that is universally adopted by business and IT alike, you stand a chance of driving that data culture. Yeah, uh, gosh, just the, the pure transparency. Um, and I love the feet, the collaborative input from all the information consumers and knowledge workers, good and bad, right? It's like, help me have insight to what is really meaningful and valuable, uh, given the context I'm about to embark on. I love that. Well, it, you know, it's just like how we use things like Amazon and uh, other other uh, tools that give you reviews. You know, if I went to Amazon and chose a product, I always look for, you know, what people are saying, good and bad. You know, you want to know the good and bad of your data as well. Is this data I can trust? Is there a warning flag there or uh, are there issues? So um, having that collaborative consumer grade experience is what people expect, I think. Yeah, and to me, that, that's an insight of a data asset, actually, um, possibly a data liability. And that should be some kind of trigger that says, hey, let's look into this, this data set because it is a liability. Maybe we need to decommission it or you, at the end of its life cycle or something. Well, and, and whilst you're doing that, you should at least give some warnings to people not to use it <laughs> because there'll be hundreds of people building reports and doing AI and, you know, without that warning, how do they know? And it used to be word of mouth, didn't it? Or, you know, you'd be sitting next to John and he would say, we have a problem with this data. Don't use it, guys. But in this remote world, we haven't got that luxury. What a beautiful story, Steve, and and insightful approach around how to take governance to a, to a level that's a value generating um, set of disciplines and, and cultural behaviors. I love that the uh, story. And of course, the Elation product uh, really does embody a lot of the visions that you just shared with us. Um, and it allows scale, it enables scale, um, incredible. I have had an incredible time talking with you today, sir. Well, I love, love sharing with great minds like yourself. So thank you for sharing that out with us. Um, You're welcome. Yes. Yeah, this uh, is a great conversation. I love, I love hearing about how it became so real for you. And I definitely know who to ask when I want to hop the pond and do some cycling. Mm-hmm. Um, you're the, you're the go-to. Only, only within a 20 mile, hour, 20 mile radius. Of you know, my that house. seems manageable to me. That seems, that sounds a little bit more manageable than like a whole, a whole country. Um, Okay, so this is a great time. If anybody that is in the audience has any questions, you can can put them right here into the chat. You could use the Q&A as well. We'll see both of those come through. Um, But in the meanwhile, while we're waiting to see if anybody does have a question, I want to mention two upcoming um, events that we have. And the first is is highly relatable to today's conversation. We are, of course, a proud partner of um, Alation. And coming up, uh, we in July, it's in mid-July, we have the Alation 
hands-on workshop. So this is your opportunity to do an interactive deep dive demo into the cool, this cool technology that we've been talking about today. This is free. Uh, it is um, available to you from anywhere in the world, but if you do so happen to be in the Denver, Colorado area, you can join us um, in our beautiful co-working space with a rooftop view of the city. Um, where we will be. We also have another upcoming workshop, which is the Path to a Modern Analytics program. This is an executive level full day session that will review the key areas that you need to focus on to uplevel your company's data and analytics program. Um, that one is also uh, live and it will be live in uh, outside of Dallas, Texas. If you happen to be in that area, this is at the end of this month. I think we're at June 28th for that one. Um, and then also, of course, uh, always available live and uh, um, remotely from anywhere. So that's what we've got. So I don't see any questions coming. Oh, I do have a question. We got one. From Max. Hey, Max. It says, uh, Hi, Mike and Steve. I was wondering what the two of you thought about the next five years looking like for the data industry. Take that first, Steve. Well, I, I wonder what the next five minutes will look like for the data. <laughs> Good uh, answer. I'm, I'm not sure I've got that crystal ball. I, I, I certainly see um, an insatiable appetite for you know more and more sophisticated analytical and AI tools to be helping improve efficiencies in organisations and deliver you know world class uh, uh, experiences for their customers. So it, it's it's certainly not going away. Uh, volumes will continue to increase uh, exponentially. I have no doubt. I see the continuing move to the, to the cloud, of course, uh, for all sorts of of reasons, um, and I think the you know the ongoing pandemic, the economic situation will only accelerate that. More and more companies will rely upon the data to make those decisions that they may not have had to make in the past, upon data that they may or may not know that they have. So. Um, I think this interesting period that we're going through just accelerates the need for a real focus on on data, on governed data, on trusted data in organizations for the CEOs to make faster, better, more insightful decisions. Um, and I'm going to leave it there because I'm not a technologist, so I don't want to get dragged into any speculation there as to what, what technology will will support all of that? Yeah, and I'll pile on um, and reinforce some of the things you said, Steve. Um, certainly, machine learning based at analytics is really the new table stakes. However, there's only a few corporations um, that have realized it, and those corporations, as uh, in, as a function of performance versus their industries, has widened the gap incredibly. Uh, because they had the insight during um, late 2019, all the way through 2020 and 2021, they made huge investments in getting their data assets under control and then enabling more machine learning based um, insightful analytics for their, for, not only for their internal operations, you know, improvement of performance, but also looking for ways of taking data and making it a, a, a industry disruption 
or certainly differentiation, but more so um, disrupting industries by embedding insightful analytics, machine learning based analytics into the products and services that are sold to the customers. And you mentioned Airbnb, you mentioned Uber, even Strava, right? These are these are incredibly valuated things that the end consumer loves. With that is going to come more and more pressure to make sure that the way we use these data assets has to have the proper level of ethics review around it. Right now, it's what we should do. In, in the near future, is going to be what we must do um, because there are policy. There's there's legislation in the U.S. in particular around that. Uh, namely the the algorithmic accountability act which says you you have to be able to observe you can't have a black box anymore you have to demonstrate your ethical use of the data the other thing i see is these data sets will truly become encapsulated data assets that are not bound to any one technology because the technology evolution in which I'm loving. I haven't seen it since my career in this space starting in 96. The technology evolution is leapfrogging every day, each other, right? Um, and it's got it. We have to all start thinking about how do I decouple the data asset from the enabling technology so I can move my assets around to different technologies. That's my I, 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 yeah, and I'd add to that. I'd actually look back at a couple of years. I think there was a real change, certainly in the UK when we we start as a population of 65 million people in the uk we started getting used to seeing our prime minister and the brightest people in the land stand up every evening and show us data and talk about making decisions important decisions based upon the data and then would show us graphs that most people hadn't seen from since they were at school so i think that there's there's an awareness that, you know, governments, companies are making data driven decisions and it, and it was brought to uh, everybody's attention over the, over the, the last couple of years. Definitely highlighted something, didn't it? Right? Certainly did. And, and, and the insightful and, and forward, forward leaning organizations jumped on it. Um, and they're, they're reaping the rewards now. A good space to be great. in. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for this great conversation today. Steve, thank you so much for being our um, guest on the show. We are uh, excited to continue our um, partnership with Elation. We love you guys. We always have. Great. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Steve. Have a great day. Thank you. Right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.